Support for When Dating Hurts comes from Liquid IV. Hydration doesn't get enough attention. It's not just about people running around a tennis court or doing an hour of Zumba or body pump. Proper, functional hydration is an all-day, everyday thing. And to help us stay hydrated, Liquid IV is the category-winning hydration multiplier. Sure, you can use Liquid IV before, during, and after playing pickleball, but you can also use it when you're starting to lose concentration in Zoom meetings or even after a night out with friends. One convenient stick of Liquid IV in 16 ounces of water can hydrate you back to life two times faster than water alone, and you'll be getting essential vitamins plus three times as many electrolytes as leading sports drinks. It's non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. My favorite flavor is Golden Cherry. It's one of 12 great tasting flavors that make hydration pretty exciting. Real people, real flavor, real hydrating. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code WHENDATINGHURTS, all one word, at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code WHENDATINGHURTS at liquidiv.com. I'm Bill Mitchell, and this is When Dating Hurts, a podcast dedicated to my daughter, Kristen, and all women taken from us before their time by the epidemic known as dating violence. I will speak with authorities in domestic violence, law enforcement professionals, families of victims and survivors, and survivors themselves. We pick up where we left off from part two. Here is part three, the final part of Sarah's story of dating abuse while living in Australia. One incident, he actually, I thought it was a, a whole brick. It wasn't. Um, it was half a brick that he had in his hand and he had it held up and he was wanting to throw it at me. And this was the incident where his parents were there. There were so many things like that that just got let go that really had they have been documented, would have shown that he was consistent with his behaviour of becoming angry and then getting more physical. Unfortunately, I took the view at the time that having less legal issues for him going on was more of a safety strategy for me because the more he had to go to court, the more angry he got, the more weed he smoked and needed, the more money he needed to borrow from me. It actually became my problem as opposed to his. I don't know if I'm mad seeing it that way. I don't see it that way now, but I did I did then. At some point, I decided that, you know, I needed to engage this lawyer to help him with his compensation and that that would be fundamental for me to be exiting this relationship I had to do it I felt obliged to do it because I'd said that I would all right so yeah got that all kind of going for him there was lots of communication around all of that as you can imagine and we actually there is one incident I just want to mention actually if during all of this, there would be these these kind of violent 
incident out outbursts. I got to a point where I wouldn't want him back in the house. I, I was I was scared, or I I actually my front door has got a bolt at the top and the bottom, so there's a fly screen on the outside. It's a double door, and then on the inside is another glass door with um, glass and wood door with a Yale lock, and so I could open the inside door and he could still be on the porch without me actually letting him in. There was a, a kind of layer of protection somewhat so that I wasn't ignoring him and I wasn't getting, you know, 50 missed calls or 25 messages calling me this, that and the other. So I would sometimes when there'd been some sort of violent outburst, I would have, he would keep, he would always keep showing up here. I'd open the, the door and he would be on the porch. This particular time, so what, there's two in incidents here that I want to mention. One time he grabbed hold of the door, the fly screen door, and he actually bent the bolts at the top and the bottom by pulling on it. He didn't manage to actually get in, but that was the intention at that point. And I think somehow he realised that it was going too far. You know, he was. this was going to be really obvious evidence of someone trying to break into the home and so he backed off but another time where I'd kind of kicked him out because this was happening after these violent times he would either storm off if he was driving whether he had a license or not he would just kind of roar off in the car but then he would always show up again so Chris came back one time after one of these episodes where I'd gone just get out go away I don't want to see you you know I don't feel safe at that point I actually didn't feel safe in my body I felt that I couldn't I had to go along with what he wanted if if things were going okay as in we were around each other you know and so like so it was like my body had become his he if he wanted to have sex we had to have sex you know like if he wanted to go and get weed, we had to get in the car and we had to go and get weed. I became, I feel like I became a real shell of myself. After one of these incidences where he got angry and violent again, I just went, no, nah, I can't, I can't, I just can't. I've got to this, this level of where I just feel I can't be doing with this anymore. I'm working full time. I was working five days a week, eight hours a day, and I'm having all this shit going on in my, in my private life, you know? It was just ridiculous. It was stupid. My son, who was quite young, he was a young teenager, he's watching all this going on. And he's kind of like, Jesus, my mum, you know, what, what on earth is happening here? He, he actually told me later on that he was worried for my safety. And we, we've had to do an awful lot of work, me and him, to repair our relationship, me and my son. Anyway, this particular incident... I kicked him out of the house, don't want to see you, you know, F off, keep away from me, blah, blah, blah. He comes back. He comes back in his car. He knocked on my bedroom window for four hours. He knocked and knocked and knocked. Sarah, let me in. Sarah, I love you. Sarah, I just want to come in. I just want to talk to you. That's what he would say. Chris would always say, I just want to talk to you. I'm not angry. I just want to talk to you. And so I actually lay in my bed. I was petrified. I just, I, I, in, I normally would kind of come round to that if I don't let him in, he's going to escalate, you know. That's how it tended to unfold. And so I never did the instant ringing up triple zero. Like I really, really rarely would do that. 
I did do it one time that I remember, but I they didn't get here in time anyway. You know, he was always gone. The police in that way were never the support that I thought they would be. I really did think that if you had someone that was causing you major concern, that you were scared, really scared of them, they would get here. I really thought that. I really did. And it wasn't until all these things were going on that I realised they are so undermanned. They are so unknowledgeable around it all. Even when they do get here, he comes back once they've gone anyway. It was just, it was like a game of cat and mouse, you know. That he would be gone, they'd, they'd, you know, like, it just, it was, it was no help whatsoever. It really wasn't. And I, and I, I respect the police. They do a tough job. But when it comes to this kind of work, oh, my God, my experience was dreadful, terrible. Anyway, so, yeah, four hours on my bedroom window. I'm lying in bed. I'm going, I've got to get up for work in, like, I don't know, two hours' time. I've had, like, maybe, I don't know, maybe an hour or two sleep before he got there. I actually got to the point where I was beginning to be concerned about me being able to function. I was drinking wine at this point. I was kind of calming my nerves, I guess, by having a wine or two when I got in from work. I was hardly eating. I kind of like just lived in this constant state where I felt that I was permanently shaking. I just really, I felt like I never knew what was going to happen next. The only safe-ish place for me was work. I knew when I was at work, I was around other people. I, I could talk to people at work. That was really the only good place for me to be. After the four hours knocking on my window, he finally gave up. He got into his car, which was parked on my front lawn, which was about two metres away from my window, and he slept in the car. Okay, so even when I when it stopped, when he finally gave up, and that's what I mean, four hours, that's a good effort, isn't it? That's a really bloody good effort. I kind of... This is going to sound funny, but I kind of pat myself on the back for going, you hung out for four hours. <laughs> you know, you actually, you never let him in. Like, go you, you know. <laughs> but doesn't that just go to show like how, how, um, how like stuck he was on trying to win me over to get back in, to get back in the warm. Oh, horrendous. So the main turning point for me we, we went off on this there was two things two really big things we went off on this holiday all right oh my god bill <laughs> holiday oh my god it was a hell of a day over here in australia there's a place called uh nimbin all right n-i-m-b-i-n nimbin it's known for being very laid back lots of weed lots of people who are veterans go there lots of tie-dye clothing. It's a small country town, but very much focused around the bong and weed kind of culture. Sarah, in her wisdom, I decide, oh, this will be a good place to go. You know, this is somewhere he had always wanted to go. And so we drive up there. We drive up. It takes us a couple of days to get up there. On the way, we go to a campsite and he throws one of his tantrums and people at the site actually were coming up to me saying they were concerned for me. I had my dog, but he had driven. This this was one time when he'd driven. Oh, and that's the other thing. He was driving because it was out of our state. He said, oh, no, no, I can drive. 
you know, they stop me. I'm not in, in at our state is Victoria. I won't get pulled up here. I'll be fine. You know, like clearly this is deluded, right? You got no license. You got no license anywhere in Australia. Yeah, you don't just kind of oh well, I'll be right because I'm in another state. That's not the case. But that was his way of thinking. So you know, clearly I've got to go along with it. So yeah, we're at the campsite. He's thrown a tantrum. I actually went into town. I took the dog and I walked and I went and sat outside the police station. I just sat there and it was quite a big police station. It was at Coffs Harbour and there were these police people walking in and out. So females and men, like I kind of just sat there and I just didn't know what to do. I was just dazed. I kind of sat there going, I'm hours away from home, not just an hour. This is hours. I'm worried. I got not much money on me. I had some water for the dog. I just really don't know what to do. During this time, he's driving around trying to find me. Same, 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 you know, whatever had gone on, he's just trying to do the stalking thing. Find me, talk me around, you know, everything will be okay. I'm sorry. Always the big apologies. I'm sorry. It won't happen again. It definitely won't happen. I won't. I won't hurt you. There's nothing to worry about. All these, you know, kind of the things that you want to hear but aren't actually true because it's just lip service, right? Eventually, I decided that after quite a few hours, I decided that I really had no option but to get back in the car with him and continue the journey. So we get up to Nimbin. So he's happy. We go into this place he's always wanted to be at. We stay there for a couple of nights. He's okay. Get some weed. We go to the place where lots of veterans go because it does help with their PTSD symptoms. There's some ability there to get some other some other examples of weed in different forms. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it's like the the oil. They had some tablets and things that were. I'm not sure exactly, but it was all to do with weed pretty much. So he gets, he's kind of happy, you know, he's able to to get some stuff, like he's able to talk to someone who very much understands what this does for him, how it helps calm him. I know at this point, I know that he's tried um, your traditional medication and he claims that it makes him worse. He, he claimed he tried it a few times in his life and that it was, it, also stopped him sleeping and it didn't help him and so I kind of was supportive that maybe maybe if he goes somewhere like this he can kind of get something that's going to keep him on more of an even keel because we you know I didn't know too much about all this but there's all different strengths there's all different blends and types and so like when you're buying it from various people you never know exactly what you're getting I didn't know that, you know, to me, weed was weed. Some of my thinking there was, well, it might actually help things, you know, because it had been such a rocky ride. I don't know. I still had some hope. I think I was beginning to come round to being more scared, understanding the risks. There'd been plenty of things broken. I'd been kicking him out on and off. I knew there was a shelf life on this relationship. Anyway, so finished the stay in Nimbin. And we're driving back home. We're coming home now. It's a good few hours drive. I think it was something like between five and six hours. On the drive back, 
for some reason, he is not happy. And here goes my second white knuckle ride. Support for When Dating Hurts comes from Liquid IV Sugar Free. What do I like most about Liquid IV? Maybe it's how they make everyday hydration easier than ever. One convenient stick of Liquid IV in 16 ounces of water hydrates you two times faster than water alone. Or maybe it's the new sugar-free flavors like white peach, green grape, and lemon-lime. Or it could be Liquid IV has three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, plus eight vitamins and nutrients for everyday wellness. Liquid IV, sugar-free, has no artificial sweeteners and zero sugar, so you get a nice sweet taste without the calories or raised glucose levels from sugar. Liquid IV Hydration Multiplier is a non-GMO electrolyte drink mix that utilizes the science of cellular transport technology to deliver water and key nutrients into your body faster and more efficiently than water alone. That way, whether you're playing a sport, doing Zumba, or you're just making your way through another day at work or at home, you stay hydrated more efficiently. And here's a nice offer. Get 20% off when you grab your Liquid IV Hydration Multiplier sugar-free or any variant at liquidiv.com and use this code when dating hurts at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code when dating hurts at liquidiv.com. He had a full-on breakdown in the driving seat. He was crying. He was apologizing like nothing I'd ever heard before. He was so sorry for all the hurt he'd ever done to anyone. It was a total breakdown and I was absolutely, and I'm going to swear, fucking petrified because he was in the fast lane and he was totally distraught. He was saying things that I never expected to come out of him. I'd never seen him cry. He had tears streaming down his face and he was talking about things that with his family, stuff that had been mentioned but not in any detail. He was, I do not know what triggered this. I have no clue what instigated this full on, no clue. And again, I just did the shut up, just sit there, hold on to your seat. You just got to try and get home in one piece. So after that, I, I actually, I was just glad again for it to be calm quickly from doing the streaming tears and apologies like that flicked into back to angry man and was just oh you know da, da, da. like it just it just it was unreal to, to observe it I could not get over I'd seen the flick from him with the cops being here to being quiet and calm like a mouse having been raging like within five minutes beforehand but I had never seen him go into this full-on what I took to be his his real inner kind of truth you know like his his proper apology it was absolutely bloody awful honest to god I never I never want to see it again I never want to observe and definitely not be in a passenger seat with anyone like that again so we get home and all of this is sinking in. You know, this was meant to be a holiday, right? He had the, the campsite. There were people concerned for my welfare. I sat outside the cop shop. We did the Nimbin thing. 
coming home, he's doing this massive full-on bloody breakdown. And I'm just going, Jesus, Sarah, you thought you'd got a piece of work on your hand. You've got a piece of work times 100, all right? This is not something you can deal with now. This was the confirmation that I was in so much shit, I didn't understand it. I thought, because of my background, I've got the degree in psychology, I've got a master's in forensic mental health. I've been through some rough stuff in my life, you know, it will be okay. That was my thinking. That was where I'd come from. After that, after being in that, plus the accumulation of all the other crap that had gone on, I actually went, nah, this is way, way above anything you can deal with. This is, this is, I I, want to describe it, and I don't mean to be disrespectful to anyone that has a diagnosis of schizophrenia, But to me, it was like a Jekyll and Hyde. He had gone to the extreme of that, you know, the the evil one. And and to the the true apologetic, gentle, kind of normal one. Do you know what I mean? I'd witnessed both. And I'd never, I've never seen that in my life. I have never, on any movie, I watch horror movies. I watch all sorts of movies. Clearly, I've done some study around personality disorders and, you know, I know a fair bit about crime and and having worked for the police, much focused on crime, true crime. And so, you know, I've come across a fair bit. I really have. But that was just totally, that, that really did blow me away. So not long after that, this was the trip, Nimbin, after that, we got home. I believe that was in the May of 2019. All right, that was where we've gone from. So that's about two and a bit years from having met him. We get through to 16th of October. The 16th of October, I go off to work. I come home from work. Work's fine. No problem at work. My day is is no worries. I come home. He's sitting on the porch. He would sit on the porch to smoke, whether it be um, cigarettes or sometimes he'd he'd smoke a, a joint out there. And I'm standing on my porch, and I'm just going to describe the porch. It's there's three three lots of steps, okay, and it's a big concrete base. The steps, when you measure from the the, the concrete down to the actual ground and the concrete pathway below, is one meter, okay. So I'm standing at the one meter point on the concrete at the same level as him. He's sitting down. He's sitting about he's sitting about two meters away from where I'm standing. And I'm looking down at my phone and I'm, I've got an appointment to get to. So I look up from my phone and I said to him, Chris, I need you to move you. you. I've got to get to an appointment. And I look back down at my phone and I'm trying to check something. Could have been emails, could have been what time I had to get my appointment. I don't recall. And so he doesn't move. I'm kind of like, I look up again and I said, Chris, I've got to go. I've got an appointment to get to. I need you to move you because he pulled in behind me in my driveway. So I couldn't actually move my car. Whether he'd followed me from work, I don't know. But I couldn't get my car, couldn't move it to go to my appointment. And the next thing, I look down at my phone and the next thing I know, I am flying through the air. I have been, something has, has hit a shoulder and I'm flying through the air. And I actually thought during those few split seconds whatever it was I'm gonna die I'm actually gonna die and I landed on the concrete ground my head landed on the concrete ground 
I landed 2.4 metres from where I was standing. So I was stationary. He had walked maybe two or three steps and he was so angry that the impact of his body in me propelled me 2.4 metres to land a metre down away, like a metre depth, 2.4 along. And I'm on the floor and my whole body is shaking. And I'm going, I, I, I can't speak. I'm in a state of shock. I'm actually, I'm doing the, I'm doing the, the cold, hot thing. My, bo- my whole body's shaking. I don't know what's just happened. I, all I feel is pain. And I, I kind of, I kind of instantly wanted to cry and I was instantly angry. I can't, I can't explain properly how I felt at that moment. But I knew for me that was, that was it. That was effing it. That was, to me, that was the final kind of the, the nail in the coffin for me. And he, he just, do you know what? He, he didn't, he actually just, I'm landed on the floor. He carried on walking. He walked and got in his ute and I'm lying in, on the floor. And so he gets in the car, his ute to start it up and move it. And I, I'm looking at him in, in absolute disbelief. I can't get up. I actually can't move. He then stops the ute and comes back towards me. And I'm thinking, oh, Jesus Christ, like, what's he going to do now? At that point, I kind of pushed myself up with one arm. So I'm still on the floor, but I'm kind of on an angle upper body. And I just started swearing and keep away from me. Don't come near me, blah, 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 blah. He he alleges that he was going to try to help me get up. Whatever, Whatever the case, doesn't matter. I don't want him anywhere near me. I, I'm her. I can't move. So he does. He he gets. He goes off. He gets in his ute, and off he disappears. And my son's dad, who lives behind me, he lives in the property adjacent to me, out the back of my backyard. He actually hears me shouting, "Get away from me!" Like, and that's quite a distance. So I'm clearly really shouting, and he comes round and he he shouts over the gate to me, "Are you okay?" And I said, I said, I can't, I can't get up, I can't move. And so he he helps me to to get along to the steps. I I just said to him, John, if he comes back or if anything else happens, can you ring the cops, please? I just I kind of sat there and I just kind of came round. I, I stopped shaking, and believe it or not, I I went back into my normal day to day. And I when I felt I could, I got into my car and I went off to my hair appointment I know it's ridiculous right I get to the hairdresser and she's washing my hair she said Sarah did you know your head's cut you've got two cuts on your head I could never felt it I could feel there was there was cuts and bruises on my legs and on my side and and actually like I felt I didn't feel right I didn't feel 100% I think I was probably had had some proper shock you know anyway so Yes, yeah, I just I said, oh my god, like, can you just take some photos for me? I actually had the the sense of mind to to say, will you just take a couple of photos? Which she did. I come home from the appointment and like clearly I explained to him when I was there what happened and I said to him, if he comes here, call the cops. But he didn't. I come home and then I start getting the messages. So it'd been about two hours and I start getting the messages. Are you okay? I'm really sorry. You know, so Chris is going down the path of damage limitation, like trying to pacify me. And I'm going, 
like to start with, I couldn't, I didn't know how to respond. I didn't want to escalate him and I didn't want him to think that it was okay either. But this was by far the worst physical thing that had happened to me. Eventually, I decided that I would reply and I said to him, you've got until nine o'clock in the morning to go to the police and tell them what you did to me. I said, if you do that, then that's okay, all right? And I knew he was never going to do it. He never did anything he said he was going to do. He, he never did. He was supposed to do a men's behaviour change programme, which was introduced because of the intervention order around his children, so with his ex. He went once. He was supposed to do through Relationships Australia. He was supposed to do with myself. He was supposed to go to classes with them. He went once. They actually wrote to me and sent a letter saying that they'd closed him from the programme because he'd only attended once and he hadn't responded since. So this is all before, you know, this final kind of incident, you know, in my mind. Support for When Dating Hurts comes from Sun and Swell. We all love snacks, but I just discovered Sun and Swell's organic, real ingredient snacks. These are the answer for health-conscious people looking for delicious, wholesome snack experiences. Elevate your snacking with great flavor, healthy products, and get this part. Sun and Swell has a real commitment to our planet. Here's how Sun and Swell has redefined snacking. Sun and Swell is the nation's first online grocery store that is offering plastic-free packaging. No one else is doing this. You could even send used packaging back using their compostable send-back program. It's the best of both worlds. It's delicious. 100% plant-based vegan products, 100% gluten-free, 100% real food, without added preservatives, and every product comes in earth-friendly compostable packaging. What's more, Sun & Swell is a woman-owned small business. It's also a B corporation, which underscores their social and environmental performance. If you're looking for a more planet-friendly pantry, shop Sun & Swell and get 20% off site-wide when you go to sunandswellfoods.com and use my code WHENDATINGHURTS, all one word, at checkout. That's 20% off your entire order when you use When Dating Hurts at sunandswellfoods.com. I knew he wasn't going to go. And so I contacted my work and I said, look, I've got to go to the police station. I've got to, I've got to make a statement. I've got to, you know, there's been this incident happen. This has to be, there needs to be a legal process around this. Because I knew Bill, I knew without a shadow of a doubt that if he could do that and get away with it, the next thing was going to be worse. I, I'd seen the pattern. Everything always, whatever it was, whatever boundary there was, it always escalated. It always got pushed further. Next morning, I rock up to the police station. I actually see one of the cops that's been, he's been out to my house previously. And I said, look, I'm going straight from here to the doctors. This is what happened. And I, he did a statement that, the statement itself, having read it now, is more in the policeman's words than mine. Anyway, I reported it. They then have to go and find him to tell him that he has been accused of this event. And so there's all these excuses that they can't find him, they don't know where to look. This was the case all the way through. I know they don't have the resources. But I know where he is. His mum and dad, like, they hide him all the time. They answer the door to the cops, you know, no, he's not here. Of course he's bloody there. 
I could find him like that. He was either around at the guy that was buying, selling him weed, he was buying his weed from, or he was at his parents. Like, it wasn't rocket science. He didn't have friends. He didn't do friends. Friends were irrelevant to him. He had people on a needs basis. I'm petrified. I'm thinking any day now he's going to rock up here, you know. And this goes on for probably maybe a couple of weeks. In that time, the police put in an order, which is a 200-metre order, which means that he can't come within 200 metres of me. So if I go into a shop and he comes in or he's there, he has to leave. Again, he doesn't really care about that stuff. So, you know, what's the good of it? It doesn't really make any difference. But it goes down through the police channel. So this is the first time that he is going to be prosecuted or it's going to go to court that he has intentionally accused, intentionally hurt someone. All right. So there's been orders, but he's never been kind of like gone through that court system to be having a a record. This is all still in the process of while this compensation claim is going through. So this is all still relevant. This is This is so there's still been contact with him around some of that after this event because I had said I'd do this, he's going to get the money, I need him gone from my life. I'm kind of worse fear scenario because I'm like, I'm the the only person's probably that's ever going to try to be prosecuting him, but I'm also the only person that's actually going to be trying to help him get this compensation. Like, does that make me a bigger target or what? I don't know how else to make that target bigger bigger on my back. That's the way I was thinking. Anyway, so the court process, look, I feel sorry for anyone going into any of this. You know, your your offenders, your perpetrators, they know it inside out. You haven't got a clue. Like, it's just people need to be much more informed about the process they're entering, in my opinion, because I didn't know what was happening. And over here, there's actually a system where you can sign up to get text notifications about the court process so if it's progressing when the next date will be when the next hearing will be or whatever the go is I never got any of that I signed up for it I didn't get any of that the compensation case that keeps going and he gets by the end of that year he gets a $30,000 advance on the compensation of the 400000 that he will be getting in full payment. At some point, I'd gone down with him to meet the, the his, his lawyer and the other side's lawyer, so the church's lawyer. And they did, um, we, we had a meeting. They then were in a meeting, the lawyers just themselves. And then his lawyer came into the room that we were in and made they'd made an offer, and that was the $400,000. Incidentally, the lawyer had had threats from Chris. She told me when we were walking away from the building that he was really dangerous and I needed to get away from him because he had phoned her up saying, you're a FNC, you're not helping me. Why are you stopping me getting my money? Where's my money? I need money. I've got to get weird. Da, 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 da. She'd had numerous phone calls from him. And I said, yes, I know. And her name is Trang. I said, Trang, it's okay. I will be getting away. This is part of me doing that. And she said, don't be near him. She said, he's really very dangerous. And I said, I know. I know he is now. So, like, I was really getting my thoughts and my my kind of plan confirmed, if you know what I mean. 
but it wasn't a formal plan. It was it was more like just in my head that I would get the compensation, you know, tick. This physical thing was the ceiling of the deal for me. That really was where I kind of just went, I am not, I'm not doing any of this anymore. Finally, that goes to court. The conversation with him, like I would block him, I would unblock him. If I got something that was to tell him about that legal process to do with the compensation, I would let him know. That was it. And then I would block him again. I didn't want him here. There was a 200 metre order in place. He was living at a caravan park. So that was the kind of places where he would go when he wasn't able to be here, sort of during, you know, the... the um, Finally, it takes about two years for court. I kept checking. There's over here you can access the court um, schedule of what's coming up to find out what's going on with your case. And I was constantly going, I don't know what's going on. My friends are asking me. I'm, at, I'm actually back in contact with my friends. Only a couple of, when I would kick him out some of those times, he would go to a caravan park, heard anything. About two years later, I kind of actually, I rang up. I rang the court up and I went, this is just bloody ridiculous, you know. Yeah, COVID, blah, blah, blah. I don't care what's going on. I just need to know. I need to know that he's out of my life and the court case is done. The court case for me was like something really fundamental. Like having not been through any of this, I thought it would just go through and he would get prosecuted and that would be the end of it because there was photographic evidence from my doctor I'd been in, I'd made a statement. There was intervention orders history for me. I get told that this was informally told that his case had been, he'd been put into a super case. I'd never heard that before. I didn't know what that meant. The guy on the phone at the court told me that he didn't really know what it meant either, but I guessed that it meant that this guy had got so many things going on against him that they had rolled all these things into one. And this is what happened. I know now that this is what happened to deal with it on a kind of simpler basis. What the police prosecutor did, the police prosecutor downgraded my case. And so there was an agreement that he would be, instead of being charged with um, like physical violence or assault, he would agree there was something had gone on, but it kind of wasn't as severe. And he got fined. For hurting me, he got fined. And I think it was something like $370 for hurting me. Okay, that was the outcome for him. Cut a very long story short on all of that. The other thing I then did was, hang on a minute, hang on a minute, I'm supposed to be given the opportunity to do a victim impact statement here. What happened to that? I'm supposed to have the opportunity to go to court to see what happens about all of this. What happened to that? So I get on to, now I get on to the victim's rights charter. So you are supposed to be kept informed. You are supposed to have the opportunity to know what's going on and to be there if you wish to, which I did. I actually wanted to go. I wanted to see him. I wanted to see the outcome and I wanted him to see that I wasn't scared of him. I really did. So none of that had happened and it had actually all been dealt with and I'd only found out about it because I bothered to follow up. Now, and this is still current, Bill, I will add, I have a complaint in progress with the Crime Commissioner in Australia 
So she is in charge of how victims are kind of dealt with. And because I wasn't informed, I had to apply to have a complaint seen to. So my complaint has been with her now for probably about six months. It took me a while to compile because you have to, there are like sub clauses that you have to meet in order for her to accept a complaint. And so it took me a while to compile my complaint to then submit it. They then look at it and assess it. And then they decide if they're going to investigate it. And so they have been investigating it, which means that they contact Victoria Police. I had an email about two weeks ago saying that it's still in progress and that I will be getting the recommendations from the victims of crime. I think she's called the Crime Commissioner. That's the final kind of thing that I'm waiting to hear now. And this is me going, look, this is not so much me. I'm 55 next month. What about the girls that are 17, 18, 19? What about them not getting to here? What about them being petrified that they're, they're going to get out of this alive? Why wasn't he prosecuted? Like, who made that decision? This is all bloody wrong. It's not fair. Victims are being re-victimised. That, for me, was something that I had to do about the system, if you see what I mean, not so much about yeah. him. You've given so many hard examples of things that can happen. They're all real-life things. There's been a lot of advice implied throughout just about every one of these conversations I've had. What happens is that I constantly am thinking that if people pay attention to this podcast and listen to these stories and these episodes, that a lot of the things you talk about, especially in the early stages when you felt uncomfortable but kind of looked the other way or felt sorry for him or you're going to... I usually call it the the wet puppy syndrome. You know, you want to bring in the wet puppy from outside and take care of it. And, and other people are looking at it like, that's not going to turn out very well for you. You know, that there's something wrong with that puppy. It seems to happen to the nicest people and people who are compassionate, people who are empathetic and sympathetic, people who just want to make things better and help these people out. And the whole time you don't realize it, but you're enabling all these things that you really don't want. And don't help anybody, really, including the person who's doing it. It's just... Uh, totally. Yeah, I agree. It's so hard. One of the pleasant things from from my standpoint is that, in a lot of ways, at least behind you, you know, not all of it, but at least you don't, you don't have that person showing up at your door and, and, you know, those type of things. So that's, you know, unfortunately, the, the bad news in there is that he's showing up at someone else's door and, and bothering them with his Jekyll and Hyde routine. That's right. And that's the concern. It just goes on, doesn't it? It does. And, you know, there's a new crop of them every year. You know, it's just the way life yeah. is. You know, there's just tomorrow's abuser is watching today's abuser and picking up different clues and trying things out and testing out victims, targets. The only thing you can do is learn as much as you can as a potential victim Yeah. and do your best to, to understand what could possibly happen you know, get out of this Cinderella Pollyanna thought process, you know, that this would never happen to me or, you know, this person's everything I ever wanted or whatever I wanted right now. And then you just stay in that mode, even though that the evidence that's coming back your way, the feedback is not that positive. Yeah. I think the thing that shocks me about this now is that he didn't come up to me and smack me in the face. He never did that. 
So when you think of domestic violence, you think of someone being hit or being strangled or being punched, kicked, you know, like that kind of full-on physical attack, right? He never did that. He was violent and he was dangerous, but it was not that overt. It was always something that he could try and explain away. So his argument with the incident on my porch was that he tripped. That was what he said had happened. Oh, yes. Yeah, I'm not surprised. It's either going to be he did or you did. Yeah. And, you know, you tripped and and as you were leaving the porch, you know, you pushed out with your legs and went flying through the air. You know, it's it's never going to be the person. It's never going to be the perpetrator. That's not the way the game is rigged. Yeah. Well, Sarah, look, you know, thank you for giving us your story. It's a difficult one to listen to. You know, I have the benefit of seeing you and talking with you and others don't. But I see somebody who looks pretty relaxed at this point. I know it's a difficult story to make your way through. I'm sure I'm seeing a happier person than has been around for a long, long time. Yeah. You know, and you're kind of back to the real you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for participating and for being unselfish. And Thank you so much, Bill being so generous with your story and giving people out there that what they need. So thanks so much, Sarah. Look, thank you. I think it's been wonderful to meet you. It's been really kind of you to allow me to share my story. Thank you. I hope that there might be some insight for somebody around. Oh, yes. There's no doubt about that. Without people like you, though, Bill, I think you're educating the world. and, And that's phenomenal. So thank you. You're very welcome. You know, by the way, in terms of downloads, the number one country for uh, downloading or listening to this podcast is, of course, the United States, but in second place is Australia. Look, it doesn't surprise me in some ways. Incidentally, um, there's a part in your book that I really picked up on, and that's about what can you do, all right? What can you do if you have a family or friend a person that you are concerned about. Sure. Um, And I'm not trying to sell anything. Um, I kind of decided, well, what can I do? All right. And so after some thinking, I decided that I would try to, in some way, this is definitely one example, but in, in another way, try to educate some people around what might be helpful. Mm-hmm. If you do know someone. I just on um, the have you, you've heard of Meetup, right? Yes, Meetup. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I've just kind of put my money where my mouth is. I've just created a place on there where I would love to be able to try and open up a conversation around why doesn't she just leave? That's what it's called. Why doesn't she just leave? That's great. That's what everybody asks. Because, yeah, it, that's what that's what people, they don't get it. They just don't get it. What I want, if I can, what I want to try to do, and I'm sure there's lots of people that already do, but if I can, I would like to try myself, is to empower the people that are around the people to think about what they can do that is not going to hinder the person, i.e. increase their risk, Yes. but would be supportive for when and if they do need the help to get away because there are things, there are heaps of things you can do. And I can see that in so many different ways now that I think people that are on the outside are frustrated. They are confused. They feel disempowered. They're angry. And I think that having that conversation 
would be a good thing if I can. At some point, I would like to be able to try and do something along those lines. But yeah, it's just a maybe at this point in time. That's going to really be a big hit because it has to be successful because it's exactly where everybody's mind goes. And I listened to your story and I didn't ask the question, but I was thinking of it constantly as, well, why didn't you just get out? Why didn't you just get out? You know, and you kind of explained, I mean, I think that you stayed in it. I think you put him above you really right up until the very end. But for a lot of people, people ask that question, why didn't you just pack? You know, when he was looking the other way, why didn't you pack up and get the hell out of there? And you usually come to find out you can't. I think I said, Bill, he moved in with me. So I still live in the same house. Yeah, where am I going to go? Where am I going to go? Yeah. Where am I going? Right. I'm not going anywhere and I'm still not going anywhere, you know. Um, right. Incidentally, um, my my son's dad actually saw him. He saw Chris about a week ago um, at his work. He came in and um, he just let me know that he's in the area again. So I haven't seen him. I don't know what he's driving. I feel that I'm okay because he hasn't been here. Um, but, yeah, he's 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 still around. These things take a while to take root, and they are really difficult to make them go away forever. I'm so sad about that. Sarah, thank you very much. Thank you so much, Bill. This concludes Sarah's story. You can see how hard it is to break away from an abuser. That's why we urge you to learn the warning signs. They will save you a lot of trouble and maybe even save your life. Thanks to my guests, for offering their stories on the When Dating Hurts podcast. This is your platform where victims, survivors, and others who have experience with domestic violence can freely add what they have witnessed. Through these stories, although challenging to listen to, we underscore the prevalence and horrific behavior of abusers over their targets and victims. With knowledge comes enlightenment and empowerment. If you feel your story should be included on this podcast, please email me at billmitchell at whendatinghurts.com. That's billmitchell at whendatinghurts.com. Thank you.